0: Hey, 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 everybody. This is Tyler. And this is Danny. We're the Fried Squirms. are here to get stoned to talk about horror movies. This week will be Wizard of Gore. That sounds familiar. Hmm. Deja Vu. Hmm. Before we get into all the particulars of Wizard of Gore, we got to get some things out of the way first. Most notably being the fact that we are here to get stoned and then talk about horror movies. So it's time for our green hits. As always, we exchanged some J's. Danny, what am I about to light up over here? All right, so this week, Tyler, I brought over a J from the friendly folks
1: over at Mile High here in town. And the joint is a stuffed French toast. And what is that? It's a hybrid strain that was created by crossing French toast with cookies and cream. Now, there's going to be some other information depending on who grew it, you know, who you're getting it from, etc., etc. But because I know Mile High likes to use cookie strains, that's why I know they are using the cookies and cream strain with this, as opposed to the stuffed French toast that has the Paris OG and Face Off OG BX2 parents. So they are different. So anyhow, with that being said, the flavor and aromas on this particular strain are creamy, herbal, sugary, sweet, and earthy. You'll feel, of course... The usual effects that marijuana gives you—it's uh, a very strong, potent high, and it has some pretty high numbers in THC. It ranges anywhere between twenty-three to twenty-nine percent. I can't remember exactly where it is. Over at Mile High, I want to say somewhere in the twenties, low twenties. But regardless, it's a pretty good strain. Yeah, I mean, I've already enjoying these first couple of hits, so. Yeah, I said it,
0: to expect a couple of hints of like maple syrup and maybe some piney citrus. So. Gotcha. I brought in one of my old tried-and-true favorites just because it had been a while since I was able to get Jays of these, and so when I had the chance, I jumped on it. Some of my old standby, Montana Silvertip, nice. Cross of Granddaddy Purple, <clears throat> Super Silver Haze. Kind of just gets you right down in between. I mean, <laughs> one of the fav- my favorite highs I've ever had, a little bit more of a berry taste to it that tends to come through no matter how you're smoking it, so good for migraines and anxiety apparently i find it just good for all the time hell yeah all day or day (laughs) all day or day (laughs) yeah yeah, just some silver tip again plus you know good old we got to rep out the montana strains oh damn right man this is a tried and trusty one i i will admit i'm biased to like it already being that it's montana silver tip but it, I think it does just take the place as being my favorite strain. So Dude, I like the blueberry and, uh, you know, the silver haze in it. So super silver haze on top of that. So there you go. Right. With that, we'd like to point out, we do got a Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Go check it out. At even a dollar a month, you get all these episodes a week earlier. That means things like holidays, you get them on time. That's right. And kind of like last week. We're doing
1: a um, revisiting of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get in and all that fun.
0: You pop up to the middle level, which I think is $3 a month. Mm-hmm. And you get our extra episodes, like you were just mentioning. Once a month, we're going back and throwing out us going back through our catalog and rewatching these movies again. Some for the first time in God, fucking years. six years. And with a lot more experience watching movies in between them. We might have different thoughts on them. We'd love for you to check that shit out. Like I said, that's the middle level, top level. You could chat to us on fucking Discord. You might be having a conversation with us. Right meow. Right meow. Talking about what strain you're puffing on. And we would love to know. Anyway, check that shit out. Even if you're not interested, there is a poll on the page to see what sort of shit you would like to see from a Patreon from us. Uh, we would love if you checked it out, patreon.com slash fried squirms. And with that, Danny, I think it's time that we get into the guts and bolts of Wizard of Gore. Mostly guts. <laughs> guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts, Wizard of Gore, who and what went into the making of this flick. Spoiler free to start off. We'll get into the spoilers later. Our spoiler free setup for this movie a remake of the 1970 movie. In case anybody out there is familiar, in case anybody out there has been listening since episode three, at least for us. Oh yeah. A journalist for his own underground macabre zine goes to an incredible magic show where a woman is supposedly killed on stage but then decides to start getting into it further when the women in these acts start turning up actually dead. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. I like it, man. So with that being said, we
1: do like to talk about our cast and crew from week to week on the Films we Review. And this week I'm going to lead off with our director, and that gentleman is Jeremy Caston, And he's got some really cool credits. Now this gentleman... He's uh, done such films as The Attic Expeditions. He's also known for All Souls Day, Dia de los Muertos. He's also done the film The Thirst. He's also a part of the Theater Bazaar, The Profane Exhibit, and The Dead Ones. And a few things of note I just wanted to bring up with uh, Jeremy. I thought that was just kind of neat. Is uh, He grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, which is you know, neat with, in itself, but... He actually went to the Baltimore School for the Arts, where he was in an acting ensemble with, um, believe it or not, Tupac Shakur and oh, shit. somebody who's been in the news for a lot of bad reasons, and that's uh, Jada Pinkett. Oh, yeah. So, nonetheless, he's done some really cool stuff. At one time, he was uh, William Freakin's personal assistant during production of the film *Jailbreakers*, and he was also a video editor for Playboy TV. <laughs> Just was kind of neat. Um, he worked on a film called Skinner, which has uh, Ted Ramey, Sam Ramey's brother. Also stars like Tracy Lords and Ricky Lake. He okay. was also cast as an extra in Hairspray, a John Waters film. <laughs> so, right. yeah, he's got an interesting career, man. I looked a little bit into him. So, anyhow, moving on. Uh, we have... Writers, of course, this was based on, you've already mentioned it, Herschel gordon Lewis's film. And the writer on this one is actually Zach Chassler, and he's known for such films as The Thirst. He also worked on The Theater Bazaar and the film The Dead Ones. All right, our cinematographer on this is Christopher Duddy. He's known for the films All Souls Day, Dia de los Muertos. He's also helped on The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is like, you know, of course, a retold, remade vision of it. He's also worked on... Bruno Mars's video, uh, the Lazy Song. Okay, yeah, which is really neat. He also helped on MacGyver, the television series from 2018 through 2021, Magnum PI, 2021 through 2022, and he's also in post production on Nosferatu.
0: Oh, shit. Okay.
1: All right. The editor, of course, was Jeremy Kasten. The music on this, this is really cool. It was done by Steve Porcaro. Now, a few things of note from him, just as far as music that he's actually composed. He helped compose the music for the Sentinel television series back in 1996. He helped on A Murder of Crows, also on Justify, the television series from 2010 through 2015. And I wrote a side note. Um, I needed to look at his musical department. So uh, he's got some really cool ones there. Okay. Now, because he composes music, he was actually the keyboardist and synthesized player for a little band called Toto. If anybody's familiar.
0: Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> I know, that's what I said. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yes.
1: So that's why I wanted to save that for last. Because with those credits, he oh, actually God, you worked. You almost got a spit take out of me on that one. Jesus. <laughs> he worked on Twilight Zone, the movie where he did some keyboard work. He worked on Dune back in 84 Yeah, with Toto. He also worked on such things as The Saint of Fort Washington, which is a really good film, man. That's a Danny Glover film, highly recommend it. Worked on Waterworld, Primal Fear, another great film. From Dusk Till Dawn Part Two, Texas Blood Money, Okay, The Skulls, several episodes of ER, uh, 135 to be exact, music programmer for that. Yeah, so wanted to bring those up. All right, moving forward, we have special effects done by Autonomous FX. And two gentlemen I wanted to bring up because these are actually the founders of that company. And the first guy I want to talk about is Jason Collins. And he's got some really cool special effects makeup credits to his name because it goes back to a film we've actually done, Mimic. Mm -hmm. He was a creature fabricator on that. He helped on uh, From Dust Till Dawn Part 3, Spy Kids, Deuce Bigelow, House of the Dead Part 2, The Thirst, of course. So he's also done I Spit on Your Grave Part 2, Insidious Chapter 2. Also worked on the television series Sleepy Hollow. So, I mean, he's got a ton of other credits, a lot of television series, tons of films. did want to bring him up. And the other gentleman of note is uh, Elvis Jones. A few things of note from him. He actually worked on Power Rangers in Space. He's worked on Scary Movie Part 2. He worked on Shallow Hal in the film Adaptation. Worked on Buffy the Vampire Slayer from uh, 2002 through 2003, Jeepers Creepers Part 2. Mm. A couple of other things of note, of course, but one thing I was trying to look up because I read that he had passed away. I mean, you can see that on the database. And uh, yeah, a little bit of information on that I was trying to look up. It's kind of hidden behind a paywall, but that's gotcha. what I was kind of looking up. Yeah, I was like, ah. But uh, moving on, we have producers on this were Jeremy Kasten, Glenn W. Gardner, Christopher Duddy, Daniel Gold, and Dan Griffiths. Production companies on this were Open Sky Entertainment and Sycoscope. The distributor on this was Dimension Extreme for the 2008 United States DVD release and Genius Products helped with all other media release. It had a release date on June 22, 2007 at the Los Angeles Film Festival here in the United States and then released August 19th, 2008. And the tagline of this is pretty fucking generic. What are you afraid of? Ooh, hate that. Yeah, me too. So, uh, Mm. yeah, well, I can say this, all right, to Jeremy Casson's credit, and I think we've talked about this in the past too, is he's mentioned this as like once the distributor kind of picked it up, everything, box art, everything else is kind of out of his control. I would imagine that was too. (laughs) So no knock on him for that. All right, now moving into our cast, we've got some really interesting people, and I'm going to lead off with Kip Pardew sunshine 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 plays the role of edmund ed bigelow now here's something interesting about kip is that that is actually the initials to his full name which is kevin ian perdue
0: oh okay yeah i was like oh that
1: makes sense (laughs) that's kind of neat so anyway with that being said Moving into some of his films, he's got some really cool films. He was in the 1999 film, which actually is playing here in town at the Roxy. I might go check it out. But that film is, But I'm a Cheerleader. It's a really that cool a film. Yeah, we've yeah, um, already mentioned it, but he was in Remember the Titans as Ronnie Sunshine Bass. I'm pretty Watch. sure that's what most people are going to know him from. Well, that and I think maybe one other film. Like, okay. Because I, I've seen this movie a shit ton of times. But not this one I'm about to mention, but the one mm-hmm. after it. He was in a 2001 film with Sylvester Stallone called Driven, which is like uh, about Formula F1 racers, which I thought was kind of neat. But the other oh, film I'm talking about is The Rules of Attraction. That, yeah. Because the Dawson is in that fucking movie, huh? So I'm <laughs> I mean, one aware. or
0: the other, though. Probably not most of his other work. No. Not that it's
1: necessarily bad, but like. No, he's got some interesting other things like uh, the one right behind it, 13, which is really interesting. He's got uh, Evan Rachel Wood and some other people. I feel like like I must have saw that.
0: Yeah. I remember the box art and I feel like it's one of those things because that would have been the time period when my mom was working at the convenience store. So right. I was just watching everything because I could get it for free. Understandable. <laughs> now, he was also in a film that starred
1: a director that we've both talked about ad nauseum at this point, but his daughter, is who I'm talking about, was in the film. And that film is The Heart is Deceitful Above All Things, which stars Ozzy Argento. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, oh, man, that's got all kinds of nasty things behind that film. Uh, check it out at your own discretion. All right, he was also in Hostel Part 3 back in 2011, and uh, more recently, stuff like Chokehold and... American Fable, he's also done some television things like ER, six episodes as Ben Parker back in
0: 2006 Oh shit, he did a bunch of The Runaways I didn't know that. Yeah, I saw that too Frank
1: Dean for 23 episodes voiced Alan Douglas for the Resident Evil 7 Biohazard video game back in 2017. So, yeah, that's pretty cool stuff there. All right, moving forward, we have Bijou Phillips. She plays the role of Maggie. And a few things of note from her. She's got some really cool films of note. She was in the film Almost Famous. She was also in the film I highly recommend. It's not for the faint of heart, but that film was Bully. It's a really good film. It was fucked up. Uh, She was also in the films Havoc and Venom back in 2005. She was in a 2007 film. Some people probably know. It's called Spin. It's got some really cool people in that. She was also part of that Hostel series. She was in the second film, Hostel Part 2, was Whitney Mm -hmm. Swirling. She was also in a film I like that's based off a Chuck Palahniuk book. It's Choke, uh, starring Sam Rockwell. It's really good. She was also in the film It's Alive from 2009. She's also been in some television, and uh, most known will be probably Raising Hope for seven episodes. She also voiced Helena Wankstein in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which is really neat.
0: Oh, shit. I watched some Raising Hope. I was like, that sounds fucking familiar. Clicked on it like, oh, yeah, I saw some nice. of that. Okay. Yeah, uh, she's a part of the whole
1: Phillips family, like the Phillips sisters and all that stuff, which I think it was like, the Mama and the Papas, isn't that? I think that was it. Am mm-hmm. not mistaken? Yeah. All right. Anywho, moving forward. Uh, actually, a kid we've talked about before. It's kind of neat seeing him in an adult role. Uh, I'm talking about Joshua John Miller, plays the role of Jinky. He's like the um, forensics guy, I suppose. You won't call him that. We talked about him briefly, briefly on episode 45 for Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, because he plays the kid to... Uh, shit, what's his name? Uh, the lead actor in that film. Oh, fuck. Um, is it Tom Atkins I did? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he plays the kid in that. So that was like his debut. But we also talked about him because he was in Near Dark back on episode 148.
0: Oh, fuck. That's right. Yeah, as okay. like a kid who couldn't age. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> yeah, which is really cool. Now, we talked about this, too, because of those films. But he is the son of... Uh, I would consider a legendary actor at this point, especially if you follow horror. But he is the son of the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Jason Miller, who played Father Damien in The Exorcist, which is kind of neat because I've already talked about William Friedkin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's kind of a neat connection there. But his brother is also Jason Patrick, uh, was in probably most notably The Lost Boys, plays Michael. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's also a bunch of other films, man. I was gonna
0: say most notably Speed Two Cruise Control, but <laughs> he's in the movie Rush. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. Movie's he's in fucked rush. up. That has Jennifer Jason Leigh in it. It's good, but it's
1: sad. All right, a few other things of note from him because he was an '80s actor because of his, you know, he's a kid actor. He was in a film actually with another actor I'm about to bring up here in a minute, but that film is River's Edge. Highly recommend it. Dennis Hopper's in it. It's a great film. He was in Class of 1999. He was also in the film Teen Witch. Just pretty wild. He was in some television series like Twenty One Jump Street, The Wonder Years, The Greatest American Hero, Highway to Heaven, Believe things like that.
0: Not, yeah.
1: I'm walking on on air. Air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got some cool stuff there, man. Like, so I'm just kind of looking through a couple other things. Yeah, I think most notably, he's doing mostly like production side stuff. He's a producer on a couple other projects, so it's kind of neat seeing him in this. All right, getting into some actually some bigger hitters. We have Crispin Glover, who plays the role of Montag the Magnificent. We talked about him way back, way, way back on episode 16, when we talked about Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Now, if anybody needs a formal introduction to Crispin Glover, how far back do you want to go? I probably first saw him... You are my density. ...as a George McFly. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of neat. There's a whole kind of interesting thing about fake shump. There's actual like a bylaw, I think, in some of the, I don't know if it's SAG or something like that. Mm. Like a a collective bargaining agreement that they resolved. Anyway, he's the other actor I was talking about who's in uh, River's Edge where he plays Lane. He was also in a film. This is kind of funny. Patrick mentioned this. He said that he thought that he was renting the Bill Paxton film, Twister. Oh. But instead got the 1989 film, Twister, starring Crispin Glover, where he plays Howdy Cleveland. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty funny. Now, he was also in Wild at Heart from 1990, which is a David Lynch film. He was in uh, The People vs. Larry Flint, probably in the 2000s, where some of, probably our listeners know him from. He was in Charlie's Angels both in Charlie Angels in Full Throttle as a thin man slash Anthony. That's the creepo smell in the hair. Yeah, dude, it's so funny, man. He was Willard in the 2003 film, We need to do that flick. Yeah, that movie's pretty dope, man. He was also in Beowulf as Grendel from 2007, which is really neat. He was in Alice in Wonderland. That's a Tim Burton film. I like him in Hot Tub 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 Time Machine. machine. It's so fucking funny. I like the running gag with him in that film he does a good job with it. He's pretty awesome. Probably more recently, people might have seen him in 2020's Smiley Face Killers. Another thing, he was in a bunch of television. I know you watched American Gods where he Mm -hmm. played Mr. World, which is really cool. He's also in an upcoming anthology series. It's Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities which is slated for this year so we'll be on the lookout for that. Oh yeah. All right, moving forward we have Red Durff, plays Dr. Chong, another guy we've talked about before, episode 18, Child's Play. Fucking Chucky. Dude, how awesome is that? And not only that, but like
0: how, how uh, far back? a worm tongue, fucking Billy in one floor with the cuckoo's nest. Dude, I know he
1: won a BAFTA award for that. Mm-hmm. Which is really fucking awesome. He was in 1984, Dune. He was also in 1986's Blue Velvet as Raymond. He was nominated for a Chicago Film Critics Award for Mississippi Burning, which is actually a really good film. Reprises his role as Chucky in Child's Play 2. He was in The Exorcist Part 3, which I know at some point we'll probably get to. Also got the Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Supporting Actor in the 1991 film Body Parts. Really neat. He was in Scream Part Four. Uh, excuse me, Critters Part Four. Why the fuck I say Scream? Critters Part Four. He was in uh, Amos and Andrew, which is kind of funny. A few other things. Of no, because we'd be here all day, man. Uh, he went uncredited in Urban Legend, actually. Just kind of, mm. yeah. Uh, let me see here. More recently, he was in 2007's Halloween, which is really cool, as Sheriff Lee Brackett. Um, let's see some television. Oh, dude, this is right. This is an episode that I watched, if I'm not mistaken, it has Kirstie Alley in it. He was in the 1987 episode of The Hitchhiker where he played Billy Baltimore Jr. He was kind of like this mythical or kind of like, you know, this singer-musician from the 60s that went underground, and this guy was looking for him, and Kirstie Alley was investigating. Okay. It was kind of wild. Anyway, yeah, he was in Tales from the Crypt. The episode was People Live in Brass Hearses from 1993. It was an episode of X-Files back did, in 94. Did we mention Deadwood? No, we didn't. He was in Deadwood.
0: Bunch of Deadwood.
1: Yeah, uh, 2021's Chucky, television series. Really cool. So, yeah, a lot of cool credits there. Alright, we have Jeffrey Combs, believe it or not. Plays the geek in this film, as if we need to introduce anybody to him as many times as we talked about him. Episodes one and two fifty, we talked about him on Reanimator. We talked about him episode 156 from Beyond Episode 201, Bride of Reanimator. Why? Because he's Dr. Herbert West, of course. Right. <laughs> um, he's actually worked on three films now. I mean, up to this point with Jeremy Cast, and one of them being The Attic Expedition. So he's got a well of films, man. He's worked on a lot of films for full moon pictures, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah. he's like the pit and the pendulum, things like that. So he's worked on some Edgar Allan Poe adaptations as well. He did an episode of Masters of Horror, the Black Cat episode, which is really neat. The 99 House on Haunted Hill? Yeah. Exactly, dude. He's got some really cool credits. which I actually really like that one. Nice. Hell yeah. All right, we've got a few other people of note. I've got Gars Chan. She plays the role of Annie. These are like people at the very beginning of the film when he's getting some acupuncture work. All right, uh, we have Annie. She owns like, I guess, whatever that little... Houses, but anyway, she was in the film Invasion Iowa, which stars a Mr. William Shatner. She was in the film Fracture, and she was in an episode of Workaholics back in 2013. We also have Tim Chu plays the role of Chinese Mickey. He was in the films Seventh Moon, Love Is All You Need, and the film Plus One. Evan Seinfeld. I can't believe we're actually talking about him. Um, Fucking
0: lead singer and bassist of Biohazard. Yeah, it's
1: pretty weird. Uh, Husband some people, of
0: Tara Patrick.
1: Yeah, and if you don't delve into that realm, you might have seen him on HBO's Oz. As I can't remember his name in that show, but he was like part of the Aryan Brotherhood from 1998 through 2003, which is funny because he's got a big
0: old Star of David on his stomach. Mm. I didn't know him and Patrick got divorced, but little known fact about her, born in Great Falls. Did not know that. Yeah, she definitely has some Great Falls. All right,
1: uh, here's actually something really cool about him. Um, All those other things aside, we talked about this video game before, and, man, I would love to replay it sometime. I think it might be available on Xbox, maybe in the Game Pass, but that game is Manhunt. Oh, yeah. He
0: voiced the character Skin. I can't tell you what character that is, but. Um, it probably would have just been one of the randos in I the white supremacist gang. would pre- King. make sense. Yeah. It totally makes sense. And he's also
1: in a film called The Peach Panther. I looked it up. It has Riff Raff. That's who it is.
0: Oh, <laughs> Yeah, shit. starts Riff Raff. Well, no shit. That's fucking <laughs> yeah. funny as hell. That's
1: what I was like. Yeah, it also has like Tommy Chong's in it. Paris Hilton is in it. Um, it's kind of, like, I don't know. I it never would have
0: guessed that Riff Raff was going to be who you were about to say. Yeah, that's, what I
1: was like. that's why it was funny. I, was like, I need to bring this up. <laughs> All right. And uh, last but not least, I have Kenneth Mascow plays the role of Detective Packard. He's in such films. Actually, is a um, it's just kind of funny, man. He's in a Chuck Norris film called Overkill. He was also in the film The Day After Tomorrow. This is where it gets kind of cheesy. He was in the film Soccer Dog, European Cup. And last but not least, he was in the film, Merry Christmas, Josh and Drake, a TV movie. Oh, shit. All right, so that rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings.
0: Warnings. It's a movie called Wizard of Gore. Yes, and if you're
1: familiar
0: with the original, any
1: Herschel Gordon-Lewis works, you already know them. I mean, Gore has the name in the title. Mm-hmm. He's the wizard of it. Other than that, Boobs. A mm-hmm. little bit of bush. <laughs> yeah, there's female violence. I do want to bring that up. Oh, yeah. There's some subdom stuff that you know, mm-hmm. they mention in this. Drug use. You know, some psychic... I want not say not heavy psychedelics, but there's some hallucinogenic <sighs> kind of stuff happening. Yeah. Non-consensual drug use. Absolutely. There's definitely that. There is some animal violence, hence the geek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But once again, it's animatronics and stuff. I looked into it. I watched the behind the scenes, so it's, trust me, watch it for yourself if you don't.
0: Um, Language? Language, definitely that. I don't think we missed anything. No. Not that I can think of. All right, well, with that in mind, let's get into and find out how Wizard of Gore made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right. All right establish, as we always do, <coughs> Wizard of Gore, my first time. I've actually seen it once prior. Okay. How well did you remember? When did you see it? Why did you see it? No, it's well, not that bad. That that sounded weird. No, but. no, no. Actually,
1: I don't think it was too long after we first watched uh, the OG. Oh, okay. Right, way back in, like, 2016, and... I can't remember if I got it at a pawn shop here in town or if I ordered it off eBay, but I was curious because it has Crispin Glover and everybody else we've already talked about. And so that's what set me about wanting to watch it in the first place. And regardless, I found it for pretty cheap, and um, hence why I watched it. And I don't think I was paying it enough attention the first time around, so I was kind of like, eh. But I'm glad I watched it, you know, this time around for the review because I think it came out with a better idea of what this film was trying to say. And it also helps with going off the backbone of watching the OG last week, too. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a weird, not really, but just an interesting way of how I watched it the first time and how I'm watching it again this time. It's literally off the backbone of watching the
0: OG. So there, there's a couple things I want to get out of the way to begin with. One is, most notably on the on the Wikipedia, but I've seen some other websites also do this, most of them, just because the OG was a splatter movie. Describe this as a... I'm just going to go with the Wikipedia and pick on that. Yeah. Splatter slash noir horror film. The noir I see. Splatter. This isn't a splatter movie, man. No, it's
1: like... You, you can argue that, but I wouldn't call it splatter either. Splatter is more, for
0: me, it's more on the veins of, like, Adam Chaplin. Yeah. That, to me, is Splatter. The gore in this is not highlighted enough. No, it's good. It's good, but it's quick It is quick. It really is. And it's never, like, the focus necessarily. That's true. That's true.
1: Where they... I think you're right. I think they tend to focus a little bit more on it and Herschel Gordon's,
0: you know, telling, but that's okay. It has its own purpose here. In some ways, I feel like this is trying to be... Like, Jacob's Ladder more than yeah, a Splatter film. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this one delves a little bit more into, like, the psychological... You know, I know we'll, we'll talk
0: about, of course, but it definitely treads in different territory here. The other thing I wanted to get out of the way right off, though, is I think if any time in the next week I see another fucking Dutch tilt, I might <laughs> fucking scream. Yeah, like three quarters of this movie is Dutched and it got old real fucking quick. Did nobody teach fucking casting the trick about just flipping the fucking camera upside down. And then the, the audience knows that we're in a world with new, new rules. Or did he have to just Dutch? I guess he just liked the everything.
1: Dutch <laughs> like, nah, bro, we're going Dutch. It's like, all right, I suppose. But you're right, you're right. There's different ways you can tell that, but he opted to go this way. And, you know, whether it was him, maybe cinematographer, probably a combination of
0: both, though, but regardless, that's what what they went with. More fucking Dutch angles than Batman 66. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Fucking wild. Mm. All right, I guess into the movie itself, though. I'm going to say, first off, I feel really bad I didn't take more notes I didn't take But nothing time, really but... jumped out at me in this movie to take <laughs> yeah. notes about, which feels weird because it's a very psychological movie. But even as I was sitting there thinking about it, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I would write down right now. He's yeah. just fucking tripping out. They explain everything you need to know. Yeah, exactly. And once again, it helps that we've talked
1: about the 1970 version not once, but twice now. Mm-hmm. You know, literally last week we talked about it, so... It's a little bit more fresh, and another thing that helps in my approach to this is the fact that, you know, we also edit our episodes, and so we hear ourselves <laughs> talk about these films. And I picked up on something last week that I don't, I don't think either one of us talked about. We talked about the time period it came out in, but I think this one hits a little bit more on the head if you're really paying attention. Once again, not that, that it warrants it, but I think it makes the original, maybe some of the social commentary – it makes it important. But I think a little bit more poignant too is the fact that um, Rad Durev's character he talks about psyops and mm-hmm. the drug, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But I was like, oh, that's interesting because that also kind of lends back into the the point of 1970. We're coming off the backbone, we're not well, we're still in it, but we're in the midst of the Vietnam War, right? And there's a lot of psychedelic stuff going on. Mm-hmm. There's you know, so you st- you're still in the midst of that. But it also made me think about television and how it approaches things like war, especially during that time period. And the, the use of like editing and what you can and can't see and how it's filtered and things like that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I wasn't thinking about it like that because that's that's another one of those social commentaries on how what is real, what isn't real, mm-hmm. the illusion, the act, what you're seeing and what's happening behind the scenes, that kind of stuff. And it made me wonder how much more of a commentary they were actually saying about
0: that time period then and also kind of introducing it with his character. Actually, that's some good things. It That didn't quite hit me when I watched it. In fact, it's kind of weird. I was going to bring up the fact that I think one of the weird failures of this compared to the last one, even though we pointed out the last one is kind of a dumb movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the failures <laughs> I felt was that the last one did a better job of trying to make the audience ask themselves questions I agree whereas this one most of the questions are what's happening to Kip (laughs) Pardue?" yeah yeah and then at a certain point in the movie you learn more about his character which I didn't care too much but I could see a large portion of the audience then being like well why do I fucking care about this guy exactly no I agree with that and I think
1: that's why this film if you try to compare them like side by side in terms of like this film isn't necessarily trying to be the OG and I think the director even himself is like you know it's it's Mm -hmm. not supposed to be but you know he's playing still with the idea and concepts and stuff it's just a different approach and a different telling and I know you've seen it too and a first couple of my notes are just quotes by the director himself on what this film is and who the character of like Ed is, and I think if you have an understanding of that, it makes that character more understandable and what he was actually trying to do with this film. And like I so said, whether or not you think it's and I'm not saying you, but just yeah. in general, like whether or not we think it's like it executed well or he fell flat or whatever,
0: that's you know that's subjective. But I think for me, it helps me understand what he was trying to say, at least. And I do. This is another one of those ones where I want to point out that I overall enjoyed this movie. Yeah. But I do feel like this is one where. Mm, and it definitely has almost a certain like, for it. Man, it kind of weirdly <laughs> reminded me of Katie Bird, mm. where it's kind of a better movie than what it looks like. (laughs) That's a good point. That's a solid point. And, like, there's a really, really solid idea in there that at times is just executed confusingly. Yeah. Things like... um, and, And this isn't... Take
1: it with a grain of salt here. And this isn't me, like, trying to say anything negative. But that kind of stuff, when you see, like, certain editing tricks and stuff like that, sometimes it feels like it's maybe and I'm using this word kind of loosely here, but like, like schizophrenic in the mm-hmm. approach, like with Katie Bird, all the different frames on screen, so you are you don't know what to focus on, so you feel like there's mm-hmm. chaos, and it makes you a little, but I get what he was trying to do there, but it's mm, mm, probably wasn't the best approach to that film. Kind of like this, there's certain moments where it's like, you get the idea, but it wasn't necessary. Like I said, all the the Dutch tilting and, and
0: just you kind of a get lot it. of parts of it, yeah. And it's like I, I, I it's not I bad. It. It's no. conveying the mood. I believe that it's supposed to absolutely. And, but I think there's other ways <laughs> that you could convey that mood, and also convey the information yeah. better. Absolutely. And like I think it's, it's not
1: a knock to him. I think it's just there are certain ways that you can approach a film where it's. I don't know. Uh,
0: well, uh, and look, he's listed as one of the producers because we were reading in that yeah. interview, like, they had money problems trying to make this movie. Sounds like he was trying to get this movie made for five years, which. Yeah, that's. First off, lot. like, good for him for sticking with it. I'm not sure if I would have stuck with this project for five years. Yeah, and being that it's not.
1: It's not like his original story. that being mm-hmm. one thing. It's it's a remake of a story, you know, and, and just a different vision of that story. So, was it worth fighting? Not necessarily, but he mentions, you know, like it's one of those films growing up he's seen dozens of times. He admits that it's not good, but he likes it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, it had Which an is impact exactly on him. Exactly what we've said about it. Right. And <laughs> I get that. It's like I totally get it. There's films like that that everybody probably has. It doesn't necessarily have to be horror. It could be any genre. It's just, you know, there's certain films that we latch onto for whatever reasons that not everybody else digs,
0: and that's okay. But then I feel like he was trying to have his film move beyond that. <laughs> yeah. And I think instead he hit that once again. It's still not that good.
1: No. And I would think, or at least I would hope he would acknowledge that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, the original story is not really that great. I know he said that already. He's even. Talked about the fact that he and Herschel Gordon Lewis, they actually have a, uh, he said like an email exchange relationship, so it's not like they're best Mm -hmm. friends or nothing, but he said Herschel Gordon liked his film. He actually met him before, long before this film was made at a convention. He said somewhere in Chicago, like in the late 90s, you know, talked about the fact that he's a big fan, et cetera, et cetera, and that he wanted to do a remake of this film one day, and... You no, know, he said, Herschel Gore I was like, you know, I can tell that one day you probably will. Mm-hmm. Left him with that. You know, it w- whether or not you want to read into it, like, oh, it's prophecy. That's beside the point. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's encouraging words. It probably inspired him. And here we are talking about it. So if nothing else, he fucking did it. And like I said, he went through the painstakes of going through five years negotiating, not just him, but other people on his mm-hmm. behalf trying to get this done. so.
0: There you go. And he got some pretty cool people on board too. You have to give them credit right. there. That's the thing. Like, I don't I still don't think this is a great flick. I enjoyed like, watching it. Yeah. Like I didn't not enjoy it. And part of the reason that's the <laughs> other half of like me not getting very many notes this time was because I was just sort of sitting there in en- engrossed in it.
1: Yeah. I was kind of doing the same. Like, all right, I could be sitting here writing aimlessly notes about what this fucking character is doing like he's going he's doing this he's doing like I don't know what is the most important part of this film and it was kind of like last week it's like it's not a very hard film to follow if you just follow it straight through without listening to all
0: you mm-hmm. know like for instance parts of it are weird they explain what they need to it does partially benefit from a second watch through. It does. It's it not really the does. biggest like mind-blowing thing, but no. you do start to pick up on certain changes sooner. And that's where I was saying earlier too. The first
1: time I watched it, I wasn't It was kind of like anytime we we typically see a film for the first time, you know, and it's like okay, my first time is typically just a pure amusement watch. Like I'm not trying mm-hmm. to watch it analytically. And then the second time, because we're taking notes typically, it's like, okay, I need to pay a little bit more attention to details here. And that's what, you know, happened here. It was like, oh, okay, I'm catching things. I'm seeing what's happening a little bit more clearly and what they're trying to say a little bit more clearly. It's well, not mind blowing. No, it's not a twist, no, but it, it helps understand the story a little bit better. And the next mm-hmm. time you go through it, it's like, okay, you know, whatever. But once again, it's kind of like what we're saying. It doesn't mean that the film's good. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's great. It doesn't mean it's bad either. It's just somewhere in between. It's like I found some amusement out of it in terms of like some of the kills were cool. Crispin Glover, his he, no matter what he does, he's always gonna be fucking good. The fact that you can't recognize Jeffrey Combs in this film, holy shit, yeah, yeah, which I, is awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, Brad, Duriff, I kept looking for Jeffrey Combs in this movie. Brad Dourif nailed his his lines too. This Brad Dourif, I also first time through could hardly recognize.
1: Yeah. And he is good. Like in the parts that he's in, here's something that they talked about too, a little bit. Here's a little trivia is the fact that he would show up, you know, on set, you know, before the scenes for the filming and stuff. And he's like, one of the first shots, like the scenes that he did was like five pages of dialogue, like a monologue. And he literally did all of it in one take. And they're like, he didn't miss a fucking line. It's so like, that's how dedicated he is mm-hmm. to his craft. And they were kind of talking the same thing about Chris McGlover. And this is to uh, Joshua John Miller's credit, the guy who played Jinx in this. And he says, you know, back when he was a kid, he said he was in that movie River's Edge with Chris McGlover. And he's like, at the time, he thought he was crazy. He said, that's when I was a kid.
0: But he's like, now I know he's crazy. Right. <laughs> he
1: said, but as an adult, he says, what he realized was that he was like really dedicated to the craft, meaning like if he was in a film, he would dedicate whatever he was doing to that character and try to give the best performance he could. You know, he was dedicated in that mm-hmm. way. And he said, and Bijou Phillips and other people were saying this too, is like, you know, in a scene, he would be literally like going through the whole scene before they would, you know, like saying stuff underneath his breath, going to scene, to movements and stuff. And then boom, when he was, he was, it was on point. And I was like, that's really says something because yeah, you can misconstrue him as someone who's nutters. Maybe like Joaquin Phoenix when he was like doing his old rapper thing, right? Where's right, a character? Right. He's actually like Crispin Glover the character, and then there's Crispin Glover the private person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where I think that's probably what's happening a little bit. Like he plays a character, not just in films, but probably in interviews
0: and shit like that too. Well, here's the thing where. Where Crispin Glover knocks it out of the park in this movie. I feel like you can watch most of his performances Montag and just say, Oh, look, it's just Crispin Glover being weird again. But where it shows where the skill is involved is at the end, you get to see that recording of what was quote unquote actually happening. Yeah. And he's quiet and reserved and almost forgetting lines and <laughs> kind of scared because you find out the totality of what was going on just a couple minutes later yeah. and you realize he is being controlled.
1: I, I do like that. I do like that about this film. You know, it's like there is misdirection. That's the whole mm-hmm. gag, if you will, you know, it's like, yeah, the guy that was quote unquote, the opening act spoiler. If you haven't fucking watched this film. Yeah. The, the, he was the one controlling the whole thing the whole time. Right. You know, which is wild, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Jeffrey comes.
0: <laughs> I appreciate they found a good way to not just do the same thing as like the original. Yeah, exactly. But I kind of still like the original one more. I do too because of. Because it's way more of a mind fuck to be like. It, it is. Like, wait, the look, f- I was Montag. Uh, and she's like, I don't care if you're Montag. I'm the one with power here. Like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and then it starts back over from the beginning. Mhm. Like what was that? This instead of I was Montag the entire time, it's I'm going to turn myself into Montag after going the, through this fucking crazy ass story. Yeah, he but like he
1: found his car.
0: Arguably, he was set up to do so. Yes. I
1: think that was kind of like the the whole thing is like he had a propensity already for violence in this kind of thing Mm -hmm. that he was watching and he through this drug that we haven't mentioned quite yet and through mind
0: control and all this other stuff he was propelled into this role well I mean okay let's get to the drug of this because we've actually talked about this a lot if you listen to our Serpent in the Rainbow episode yeah this is really cool this is because it's
1: getting referenced right in fucking dialogue in this one really cool
0: but it's the the tetro Mm -hmm. Um, what's the full detoxin? yeah From Pufferfish? Yeah, Pufferfish. There's other species of fish, too, that that have it, but that's probably the most infamous one, I suppose. And back, like, we got into voodoo zombies in a big bad way in the fucking Serpent and Rainbow episode. We go into how some of this shit might have worked at least once, and that's enough to get a good legend going. That's all it takes. One time. (laughs) This is the... They're, They're playing around kind of with, like, the idea of it being used in some MK ultra type experiments, right? <laughs> this is the most versatile fucking tetra toxin I've ever heard of. Cause it, it seems to work exactly the way they wanted to, other than making your bones fucking brittle. Like you were drinking fucking milk all day long. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny, man. But I hate to keep saying like once again, but
1: if you're following the movie logic, it does make sense at least they're doing something consistent with it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just kind of funny if you actually know the shit. Yeah, right? you're like, bullshit. I want to go ahead and call bullshit immediately yeah. on that.
1: Yeah, but that's kind of what I was getting at along too with the tie-in in a, in a unique way, of maybe maybe a unique way. What I was getting at was the whole psyops thing and the mind control and not from this films telling but from last week's telling is the whole television and how it controls you know and the media in general mm-hmm. you know we kind of went into length a little bit about that but anyway this drug itself it, it's supposed to uh have those properties right at in certain doses it can bring on hallucinogenic properties it can also help people who are into psyops with mind control erasing memory and implanting memories and also coercing people to do things mm-hmm. against their will
0: and like i said in this movie it's basically the miracle drug because yeah exactly. you can very vaguely describe a scene <laughs> and it just fills in everything and yeah, it's true. not a it's not a fucking hallucination like no. you're tripping balls no no no, no 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 you have to be suggested exactly like i say it, there's a suggestion coercion that's the effects that's what you're getting. So and, like everything the CIA would want it to be. Except for the brittle that. bone shit. Don't tell them that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, yeah, they like, know we got to make sure your calcium's up, phosphorus
0: is up, all that shit. <laughs> I did, just while we're on the topic, and obviously they don't have to tell the truth, but I did hear an interview with a retired CIA operative one time when he was talking about some of the experiments with, Mind control drugs. And he's like, oh, yeah, we absolutely came up with a cocktail where we can wipe your memory. The problem is you're permanently fucked after that. Yeah, you're a vegetable. Like, like, you're you're not coming back from that. Yeah,
1: once you uh, erase your, you know, hard drive. <laughs> uh, sorry, you can't put an operating system back on that sucker. You're done. He's like, that was, that
0: was the part we couldn't get down. Like, Whoopsie Once again, who knows, but. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Regardless, that's fucked, no matter how you look at it. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought
1: that was kind of interesting. And I know I'm using that word loosely and what have you here is. All right, if you're going to run with that, all right, they're using Tetro. Now, here's the thing. Here's a question maybe. This is more or less like not necessarily to, to quiz you. I'm just kind of curious. Maybe it's the quiz myself projection a little bit. Is um, where do you think in the film Kip was first Infected or uh, Before
0: the movie even starts
1: You think so? Yeah. yeah Oh yeah Yeah I would think so too You're probably right Yeah Probably in small doses I think um You know Cause he does mention that too Like it, it, the at,
0: The whole thing happens Before The illusion Because his His memory is so spotty Of everything yep. Before the movie I think The Clue Is that What What's Bijou Phillips' name? Maggie, Maggie? Yeah maggie is the only one to ever bring up his trust fund out loud we learn where maggie actually came from and we know by the end of it kip has put together enough things that part of his revenge includes dr chong and dr chong's where he learned (laughs) about the tetro anyway and he learns that he could have took it out of him at any time that he wanted. You know, that's solid because the beginning of the film opens up with him going to Dr. Chong mm-hmm. to get relief. Which is something that's actually happening towards the end of the film. Once of the storytelling style, but Right, right, right. Which yeah, I yeah.
1: exactly. But it also makes me wonder too, like, like you were just saying, it was
0: already in him. And Chong already knew that. He was probably just releasing a little bit at a time. He couldn't remember where he knew Maggie from. He couldn't even remember what... It's kind of like Memento in a way. It made me think about that a right. little bit. Yeah, he, he didn't know where he met her. He didn't know that she was a hooker. Especially yeah, just, not one that specialized yeah. in being a, a sub. BDSM submissive.
1: Right, that's why I was getting at, too. Like It gets into that realm. It's You can argue this, and I'm not, I'm not an advocate. I'm not saying that this is, you know... Have what you will with it, but it's consensual. Like, she agrees to play that role as the sub as opposed to Mm -hmm. the the dominant one in
0: that relationship. But it's also implied that this service doesn't exist necessarily to cater to actual dominance so much as it caters to fucking just sadistic, abusive assholes. Yeah. Because there is a difference. uh, Without
1: a doubt. eh? Well, that gets back into, I think both of us now, but we both know, is that what the director says about the character, and he said, you know, at first he didn't realize this about the actual character while he was filming, but, you know, Mm -hmm. hindsight, he's like, wow, he's like, you know, a little bit of the character is in him, sometimes you can't help it, you know, whether or not you're trying to remove yourself, sometimes subconsciously, you probably interject those things. But... He says, if you look at the character himself, right, is that uh, Ed basically is this, you know, misogynistic guy. And I'm very, very paraphrasing him, but he's like, all right. He says, the wizard is about a guy who lives in a loft downtown surrounded by his Art Deco fetish antiques, vintage clothes, and turns out to be the most evil misogynistic man in the world. The first part is me, meaning... He's the guy who lives in a loft downtown surrounded so by Art Deco fetish antiques. Mm-hmm. The other stuff, that's Kip Pardue's character, Ed. But he is also like, you know, he was vain enough to like, if he, they couldn't fit, find a tie for Kip's character, he's like, I'll just bring one of them home. <laughs> you know, so it, it's kind of interesting because it, it, they bring this up a little bit in the film when they first go uh, to the show. When I say they, is it's Kip Pardue and Bijou Phillips' character. And I think, it I can't remember, maybe it is... I can't remember his... No, it wouldn't have been Jeffrey Combs' character. It would have been... Um, whatchamacallit... Uh, Chris McGlover's Montag. Where he's, he's like, they're all kind of vapid. There's no empathy in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Which is like a critique of L.A. in general. <laughs> you know, and once again, that's kind of what he was saying, casting it. He's like, you know, it's a love letter and quotation marks here to downtown L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, L.A.'s famous for his Skid Row and things like that. So it's not
0: necessarily a good thing. <laughs> I do kind of feel like I kind of hinted at it earlier that although he did seem to kind of fight it at the end, it does seem like the geek set this up from the get go to find a replacement.
1: That's what it seems like. And he happened to find. Although he was
0: maybe just trying to find a replacement Montag and got more than he bargained for. I think you're right. I think that's probably what happened,
1: you know, in the grander scheme. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and
0: what he had in mind, that was probably it. He was already using the Tetro, but we know that he did make a business deal with Dr. Chong because of what Chong tells Kip partway through the movie, mm-hmm. which is also where we find out that, like, that the reason he knows Kip is because. Kip, had been buying Maggie from him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, um, these things are told kind of in, in segments, but they do reveal themselves eventually. Which is why I'm like, he's a Tetra hookup. I think Montag must have had his, or not Montag, but the Geek must have had mm-hmm. his own anyway. But if he's moving in on new territory, he's like, he basically just used Dr. Chong. Yeah. Until he found somebody that's like, oh, this guy's appropriate. And Chong didn't know that he was the one getting played the entire <laughs> time, bad, being really. the in-between, because he's the Kit Pardew was actually the goal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was just a pawn in
1: the Geeks game. Mm-hmm. He was Like you were saying, he was just moving into probably a new territory, found a quote-unquote hookup that he could so use. So now he's
0: like, I'm going to take your hookup yeah. to keep my game going. It's,
1: it's a very political move.
0: <laughs> it's uh. It's wild, but that's what it is. This is why I'm saying this is a better movie than what you're actually watching, because let me also point out that <laughs> watching this movie, it looks like a fucking movie Evan Seinfeld would be in. Good God. Yeah, it does. Which, thankfully, did we ever see him? Yeah, really. He's oh, like yeah, the we bodyguard dude, yeah. Or like the bouncer.
1: You're right. We see him briefly. Yeah. That's right. And I'm like, damn, where the fuck is he at in this film? Not that I was like, specifically looking for him, but... He's like, what, like eight minutes from the end? Something like that. I'm okay with that. Um, But yeah, you're right, you're right. This is more along those lines. Not something that necessarily you'd see, like, Brad Dourif or anybody. And that's nothing, like, say, against this film. It's just, it is what it is.
0: But there's a lot of... Although none of this is spelled out in the movie, I don't think I'm very far off base. Because I think it's very well implied through the things that do happen in this movie. No, I agree. I totally agree. Which... Like, that's actually kind of neat that you can get this much story out of a lot of things not actually being said. No, I do like that. I said there's some things that this film does that's pretty clever. But once
1: again, it's like this film is not that fucking heavy and it doesn't necessarily warrant deep philosophical, even though it brings up once again, like last week, it brings up those questions. Does it necessarily answer them? Not really. I mean, this one's a little bit more straightforward in its approach to answering questions, I guess.
0: It's a, yeah. And it, I don't feel like it's like you look to the character of Montag to be the one making you ask questions. Right. And right. I feel like all of his speeches felt more like mid 2000s edgy live journal posts. It really is. It really is. Right down to literally having suicide girls on screen with him. <laughs> what does that tell you? <laughs> it's funny. But that's I mean, that is what it was. Can't knock that. Right. I mean. So (laughs) the kills were cool, but really quick.
1: Yeah, they didn't focus on them as much
0: as you would expect with a name like Wizard of War. And then we, unlike the OG, and I think one of the more disappointing parts of this movie is we don't ever really see the come to life for the most part that's a good point yeah uh we kind of do like we see kip set the chick on fire that's but that's, yeah, it. that's it i mean well we we, we see, see like, like a ugh. super quick on flash of like the chick that got decapitated by the quote-unquote shark right that's what was getting us like you get to see him and her but like, literally if like,
1: you blink at the wrong time <coughs> yeah you missed you it. miss it yeah, there's little intimations
0: here and there, but not enough to, you know, whatever. I guess technically, like, we see the Bijou Phillips part. Yeah, we do. Because the, the glass goes in roughly where she got stabbed. That's true. But that's about it. Yeah. And even that's not really played for the gore. No. I mean, we see his interaction with the one chick who, uh, she was in the brazen Bull. hmm you know, she gets mm-hmm. smoked up. and That was probably the most, like, fucked up part. Yeah. Overall. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I mean, we get to see it a little bit here and there. But once again, it's just like, ah. Like I said, it makes the story interesting, if you will. It's a wizard using- of gore, and you have Jeffrey Combs. Right. Exactly. You have the misdirection with Jeffrey Combs. And then you have the introduction of this drug that takes on that whole mind control aspect. Where... It's more or less Ed, you know, Mm -hmm. like he's the one experiencing it. He's the one who's the target. He's not realizing it because this shit has been played out long before he realizes it, before he starts playing detective on it. And that's kind of interesting too. Now I want to bring this up just real briefly. I'm not trying to draw comparisons. It's just kind of reminded me a little bit because of the noir aspect of, but I was like, man, it's a little bit like fucking, um, Singapore Sling and the fact that, you know, you had this detective guy kind of chasing a ghost, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but that's noir in, in general, you know, because there's a motif that I know you've seen. It's in the film. It's pretty fucking obvious. Is the whole rabbit hair, the hair, yeah. And I was like, you know, it's as simple as just pulling the rabbit out of the hat, you know, that whole trick. But I was like, well, there's also David Lynch because he likes that whole film noir forty stuff. And the fact that this dude worked on, as an editor for Playboy TV, <laughs> you know, there's those, like, there's little, little things like that all throughout, mm-hmm. it, which is kind of interesting. Does it matter? Not really. Even the name of, was it the the motel? It's like the... Oh, the March Hare. Yeah, March Hare. That was right, right, right. But I was like M-H-E Escorts. That was March Hare Escorts. Like, yeah. That's me, he, me, <laughs> he. <laughs> but
0: regardless, it's like, it, it's kind of interesting. The but best. it doesn't uh, it doesn't necessarily make the movie any better, is what I'm getting at. Maybe, I mean, look, maybe the best thing in this movie, just because I fucking laughed out loud when <laughs> you saw it on screen, was you caught the name of uh, Brad Dorff's shop, right? Uh, I can't remember right off the top of my head. Herbals. So her balls. Oh, that's funny. In your
1: mouth. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Her balls. That's good. That's fucking funny. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't pay that any attention that's fucking funny no I, I do like like I said if, if I'm just gonna explore within the realms of this film that's what I'm doing here I'm not saying this is a great film I'm just saying it, there's some things that are interesting like we've already been talking about it so I'll give it credit there right like I said it still doesn't make this movie any better than what it is but there's strong performances here like everybody who's in this film they do a good job once again like I thought Kip did a great job in his role he gave yeah. a pretty convincing portrayal of that character who's researching and playing this hipster, misogynistic guy. And it's kind of like uh, what the director said once again. is like it's a kind of a guy that you can't really latch on to. not really a likable guy. Mm-hmm. And once you realize who he is, you're like, yeah, this guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, and yeah, he fits his role that Jeffrey Combs was looking for to fill that Montag role. Maybe it was coincidental. Maybe found a better replacement, or maybe it was just fate mm-hmm. you know in this film's logic um but that's okay but yeah like i said i don't know if it's hard to recommend this to people who don't yeah. have a, a background i think with the original and once again it's not one of those films i would also recommend to, it's just the lay person it's like ah it's not a great film you're probably gonna think it's shit and i wouldn't disagree trying, with you
0: yeah if you're trying to watch it for the fact that it's named wizard of gore you're gonna be disappointed Yes, you are, and if you're trying to watch it for the psychological thriller, you're probably not going to be disappointed, but there's better options. Right, and you're going to be like, why am I? Why do I even care? If you're watching it for the Jeffrey Combs of it all. You're going to be let down, because he's not it, in it very often. No. I mean, he's he's a, the geek. He's the opening act. If you're watching it for the Brad Dorf of it all, you know, you'll probably like it. You'll he's like it his performance, because yeah. he's good, but don't look for it just because of him. Yeah, outside, I mean, like I said, if you're if you're looking for, for the fucking suicide girls of it all, I guarantee you can just go find them online a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, and you're going to get
1: more content anyway. Yeah. Um, and, you know, better content. Yeah. I mean, no discredit to people who are into this kind of side fetish stuff. <laughs> you know, but it's not my back. But I will say this about Kip and about Bijou, Like, at least they give solid enough performances where, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll still watch just to see where right. this is going, you know. But aside from that, I'm like ah, uh, I get the fact that like so this is a remake, and that like I said it's it, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be a great remake because the, the original is not that great, right? <laughs> so how, how much better can you make it?
0: The original is more important than it is
1: great, right? And I think that's that's the most important factor here is that that film set a precedent in terms of like gore and stuff going forward. This doesn't set any precedent. It doesn't. It's just maybe a gentle reminder that. You know, that you can still bring that film to the forefront, uh, not even a mainstream, just like an underground, just still keep it underground. For those who are fans of it, you're like, hey, you know, this guy's doing this. Okay, it's different. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. That's okay. Regardless, it's still bring the conversation to the front is what I'm getting at. It's like it's still we're still talking about it. Fifty
0: something years later in this film, 15 years later. Here's who I would recommend it to. I figured it out. People who have seen the original. Absolutely. And haven't seen this and are curious. I agree. If you're curious, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's worth watching, but... You know what's odd, too?
1: I mean, not, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but the fact that it's an hour and a half, it still feels too long. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe it would have been a better Masters of Horror episode.
1: Yeah, like an hour... Like, I, I agree like this would have been a
0: good episodic thing mm-hmm. yeah no knock but yeah but like I said it's worth watching if you're already curious because you know the original okay, if you're curious exactly. only about this don't be no don't be there's better options <laughs> yes and we're so, that's why we're sitting here <laughs> telling you this
1: it's because we don't want you to be mad at us for not telling you this so <laughs> like, what the fuck it's like, what, did you see Herschel? Go like, who? <laughs> okay, now we understand why you're lost. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I said that this is where we have the benefit, if you will. I'm, I'm probably using that word once again loosely here. But at least we do get the the chance to watch these films more than once. And in this case, we understand where it's coming from, like where it's rooted in. And so it makes it easier to understand so, you know, I found out some interesting things that go outside of the, the lens and, and the fact, like you said, it goes more to like the production side and stuff like that. For instance, the whole ballroom where they shot Montag's sequence, his whole act, yeah. things like that. So they found a hotel in downtown L.A., an old one called Park uh, Plaza. Okay. And the guy who's decorating the set and stuff like that, you know, they found the ballroom, like, oh, we can just gut this and make it it look like it was under construction, just abandoned. Mm -hmm. It kind of was. And that's how they did it. So they also used some of the rooms in the hotel as just other sets, you know, like for the spa. Brad Dura's spa, yeah. They just used a whole different part of the hotel to Mm -hmm. film that. So, you know, they made use of it, and they still kept the... LA aesthetic because the whole film noir, and this is where Caston was saying the whole reason we use this in the first place is that LA, especially in that 40s, 50s, that noir is kind of rooted in LA, especially. It made me think of like the whole Black Dahlia
0: murder mm-hmm. mystery. Is like
1: most people, I think, in pop culture reference, are going to reference that in terms of the whole film noir, just crime noir, you know, and mm-hmm. it fits that whole. Motif the model because we're talking about actors and actresses and Aspiring people and like the whole apathetic Nature of the business mm-hmm. You know that's that's kind of what they were talking about LA is like says a critique of LA It's a love letter to LA and crime noir is what he says so I get that Not everybody's gonna get it. <laughs>
0: I'm not saying that I get it because I'm cool. I'm just, I get what he's trying to do I guess also like technically it is like a psychedelic horror movie Yeah, I mean. It's it's just not done in what the way that we normally think of it. Yeah. It's filtered through a very mid-2000s lens. Oh,
1: yeah. Straight to video. I mean, not in a bad way because this is better aesthetically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's better made. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. There's not much more I can say outside of, like, there's a little interesting things here and there. It's still not a bad film. I know I've been saying that throughout and, you know, It's cool that they did at least try, and we talked about this last week, like, who will we cast in the roles of these characters? And, like, I don't know if this movie needs another remake. And even I would want to think about who would be in these roles, we've
0: already kind of did that a little bit. So I think the people who were cast were cast well. I will say that. You know what, though? If somebody was going to remake it, remake this version, Mm -hmm. now would be the time because New Metal is coming back around again. Mm Mm-hmm. For some reason, people love it again. I never stopped yeah. loving it. I'm not saying that in a hurtful way. I used to listen to a shit ton of Limp Bizkit, so.
1: <laughs> there is something I didn't want to mention, uh, because I heard Caston say this, is the music, uh, I believe, on the soundtrack, not necessarily in the film, mm-hmm. was one track was done by Anton LaVey. It oh. was done by his grandson. Oh, shit. There's, yeah, there's a track done by it, that kid. And then there was another one, like Bohemian Orchestra or something like that. Mm. That did. He's like, you know, he's real into them. But you know, he got all these people to come on board. Like I said, the the first person they cast actually was Jeffrey Combs, Mm. and they specifically went after Crispin Glover for the role. I think even Kip Pardue was like they wanted him to play. So they got a lot of the people they wanted to do the project. And they said a lot of it was owed to the
0: fact that they had a little bit more of an art house feel, Mm. you know. Mm -hmm. Oh. That's That reminds me of one other thing I want to say about Crispin Glover's role as Montag. Third best use of a codpiece yes. after uh, fucking The Goblin King and that's Clockwork funny. Orange. <laughs> yes, yeah, I would agree with both
1: those assessments. Especially if you get those references, that's funny. <laughs> Mr. Bowie, yeah, and Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Good codpiece characters. <laughs> This, <laughs> is number, this is a
0: solid number three right after Hi. that. That was distracting after the first time I noticed This it. goes right back into some trivia. Do you know who we modeled the aesthetic
1: character after? No. He said that he was like, I don't know if he was coming off a of film or if it just happened to be in Vegas, but he had seen some Siegfried and Roy. Oh, okay. And he modeled his character after them because oh, you know they're just kind of yeah he says so he wanted the coif and he says you know but i guess the the costume designer she incorporated some other kind of aesthetics like but that he's like he wanted to use the copies because i can't remember if it's Siegfried or whoever one of the guys does that and he says that's why he did it and the women on set too were like you know at first it's crispin and you know it's like it's he says you know i think it's I don't know. They just like it became really creepy like, because you know you have the suicide girls, and he's kind of like following them, being very sensual, mm-hmm. but his character is very fucking dark, you know. And it's him. Where you are expecting? I don't know. Maybe the way he presents. Like for instance, he said, "Man, it had me giggling the way he said it." But when he first is like giving that performance, he's like, "Sit down, bitch." Oh right. Is <laughs> the way he says it. You die tonight. You know, you would think that delivery would be a lot more sinister and dark, but his is, because of who he is, it's a little bit more light and almost dark comedic. Like, there's some dark comedy to it, in a way.
0: So, yeah, I get it. Well, it's hard not to see him as creepy at this point, because he had also already already been Thin Man and Willard. Dude, yes, yes, yes.
1: Playing creepy characters, and I'm all for it, and he does mm-hmm. a great job at it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh so I I love that about him. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that he did this and uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about this film. Like said so there's some little cool things that you can find. Like said
0: so there's some cool trivia and all that shit. There's like we said it's worth watching. I agree It's just we it's not worth it enough to most people to recommend. Nah, dude. It. It, it's not like, you know what? If it if this is like a film that you're really into,
1: I get it, you know. For whatever reasons, you know, and I'm not going to knock you. But for me, it's not one of those films, like, after watching, it's like, oh, man, it makes me think all these different interesting things. And that's it's not a knock. Sometimes you just need a a kind of a schlocky film. And in this case, a film that has some interesting concepts and, you know, maybe you can kill a little hour and a half. I'm like, okay, that was neat, you know. We don't know next week, do we? No, we're back in (sighs) uncharted waters. Now, this, this is kind of cool because we had a whole tour of Asia that we did. right we had a little detour for 420 we did cuz we have to yeah we did our our patreon episode where you know we revisited wizard of gore now we're visiting you know, wizard of gore yes yes and yeah we now revisited. we're back now those are saying now we're back in uncharted waters and this is fun man this is this is where you never know
0: right i know there's shit that we've talked about the question is are we stoned enough to, to forget or remember? <laughs> That's the reality. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> uh, but I guess for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us have you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com